The Scouted podcast is brought to you with the support of our friends at Skill Corner, whose tracking data and performance analytics are used by many of the top clubs, leagues, and federations around the world. Covering a wide range of global competitions, Skill Corner's data helps customers to make faster, better informed decisions in recruitment, player development, and strategy. And we are now using it to support our own analysis of up and coming talent. For more information, visit skillcorner.com. Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Podcast with me, Joe Donahue. This week, I'm joined by an expert in Belgian football, Scott Coyne, who is a football consultant and podcaster, co-host of the excellent Belgian Football Podcast, and I'm delighted to welcome him back. Um, the way in which Belgian clubs recruit has, has long been one of the most creative in Europe, exploring underappreciated markets before selling on to the more established Big Five leagues. But the competition in Belgium itself is still fierce and increasingly so in recent seasons with new challenges. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing what Scott has to say about the Pro League in general, but especially his thoughts on the various recruitment models across the country. Um, Scott, welcome back to the Scouted Podcast. How are you? I'm good, Joe. Good. Glad to be back. Um, never missed a chance to talk about what's happening in Belgium. Yeah, I mean, it, this season's been, um, I mean, as I've been following it from afar, it's been a, a, quite an intriguing one. We've seen um, USG uh, kind of go to the summit of the table and, and and stay there. So that should really make for for an interesting um, end of the season in the championship group, considering that it could potentially be third time lucky for them since coming back to the top flight. Um, and as always is the case in Belgium, lots and lots of uh, interesting players, some in their first full season um, that have, have really made a name for themselves. And I suppose that's that's kind of the, the crux of this week's episode. Um, three players in particular that, that have caught my eye certainly in the statistics um, and and you, you guys at the Belgian football part have been covering all year. Um, three of whom are strikers, three very different strikers, must be said. Um, but we'll start with uh, Kevin Denke, uh, who's playing with uh, Circle Brugge. Uh, Togolese forward, 23 years old, which again, always helps on, on the Scouted podcast. Um, and someone that we recently covered in uh, the Scout Notes feature, on the scouted notebook, um, which uh, saw our, our in-house analyst, Lou Davies, describe him um, as Belgium often has a striker that explodes onto the scene. Jonathan David did it previously, Gift Auburn as well, only last year, uh, and plenty more to reel off. Now it's Kevin Denke who's doing it. Um, at the time of writing, he had scored 18 in the Pro League. He uh, obviously, as you'll know, Scott, got a brace at the weekend, so mm -hmm. he's got 20 in 24 now. Um, and has, has doubled his tally and, and then some uh, in 300 fewer minutes this season uh, compared to last year. Um, and not just that, he's really putting up some some good underlying numbers in the process. Um, and, you know, high volume shot taker, his non-penalty XG is very good, touches in the box, um, progressive passes received. Basically, all those things that you want to be seen as uh, an, an analyst or a scout um, when you're looking for a striker who's maybe playing at a club that is, um, I don't know, that you could you could maybe strike a good deal with. Uh, what's your reading of, of Denki being this season, Scott? Well, Kevin's, uh, or, or Big Kev, as we like to call him at the, at the Belgian Football Podcast, um, Big Kev has, um, has 
had a, had a season that it's not surprised us, if we're honest. I mean, I, I think this has kind of been coming. There's been a, a kind of steady build to get to the the stages at this season. Um, he came to uh, Circle Bruges um, back in 2021 from from Nîmes in France. Uh, Circle played. Uh, round two million, I think, for him. You know, peanuts really uh, for I think what they're going to probably get this summer. Um, the expectation is he will move on this summer. I think there's been quite a clear, agreed pathway with the club for him. Um, but he's been steadily building over over the last couple of years. Actually, last season um, he, he formed a really effective striking partnership with uh, Ayazi Oida, the Japanese striker, uh, who's only in Belgium for a season, um, which uh, was no surprise to all of us. He bedded in very quickly, did well. Well, got his big move to Feyenoord um, and I think there was at that stage um, an agreement with the club that you know he would have another year there and be the main man which he, he absolutely has he's really stepped up uh, top scorer in the Pro League at the moment with with 20 goals um, be interesting to see how many he can get um, in the next uh, what have we got um, if you include the playoffs another 15 games before the end of the season so it'll be interesting to see if he can get to 30 but you know 20 in Belgium is is a, a, a fabulous return Kev's a a big, powerful, physical striker, good in the air, um, decent pace um, for you know a, a really well-built striker. Um, lovely guy. I think his his, his personality is important as well. Really humble player. Um, always puts the team first. Um, very, very highly thought of by the the club at Circle. Um, Kevin actually had a, some time off recently. Um, his his mum passed away unexpectedly. Um, which I think was obviously a concern to the club on a number of levels, mainly because he was their main man and um, firing them in. And I think they were worried the impact that might have on his performance, understandably. But um, he, he, he spent a little bit of time away, not too long, uh, came back straight away and uh, got straight back on it. And that seems to have been the best thing for him. There is a huge amount of interest in Kevin Denke, and there has been for even preceding this season, um, where he, he has really taken off big time. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest in Spain and France at the moment, and there are a number of English clubs looking at him. Um, I had a conversation with an agent I know recently who um, has quite a good relationship with his personal trainer, and um, from what I understand, Kevin's preference at the moment is to come to England, um, but he's not going to be short of offers, that's for sure. No, I mean, when you score 20 goals at this stage of the season, we're still, as you say, you know, a third of the campaign to go. Um you, you, you're basically guaranteeing that there will be uh, a flurry of offers in the in the coming mm -hmm. summer. Um, obviously, Circle's link—I mean, I say link—Circle's relationship with with Monaco is one which you know we've we've seen that's a well-trodden path for a lot of players over the past couple of years. Um, is is that something where you could potentially see happening with the, the sort of the alignment between the ownership group um, that they'd maybe move um, Kevin to to Monaco, or do you think that is he he's He's kind of surpassed that that level, and now that you know they could actually get an even better offer from an English club, for example. I think he's more likely to to kind of go elsewhere. I mean, I, I think the chances of him going back to France somewhere are reasonably high. Actually, I think his natural game fits French football very well. Mm. Um, you know, there's an incredibly athletic, physical side to him, which works well in Belgium, obviously. But you know, is a really important quality you need if if you're going to play in French football. I think um, from from the rumblings I hear, there's a good chance that it won't be France, but. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was France that something happened through the Monaco network, not necessarily to go to Monaco. Um, 
we've seen a lot of exchange between Monaco and, and Circle um, each season. You know, the club um, have a, a, tra- a training exchange, actually, um, where, where Circle go to, to Monaco, spend sort of 10 days or so there um, and review some of the, the development squad at Monaco. And what we've been seeing is two or three of their development squad coming uh, coming to Belgium uh, for 12 or 18 months on loan deals to kind of continue their, their, their own development. Um, Circle's... Um, Current sporting director, Rembert Vermant, uh, took over from somebody called uh, Carlos Avina, who we know very well. Carlos has become the, the new sporting director at, at Monaco because of that that relationship there. So I think the the pathways between the two clubs and the exchanges are, are only going to get stronger um, because of that. I think there are clubs in Spain and France and England who probably would be willing to, to pay more than perhaps Monaco would be willing to pay, although Monaco are not, um, not cash-strapped. No, I think that's very fair to say. Um, and just speaking about sort of the, the English clubs that could be interested, I mean, um, knowing how much that, you know, agents and sporting directors and, and recruitment people do talk, um, I think it could be very interesting to see where, you know, if Paul Mitchell, for example, ended up somewhere in mm-hmm. uh, in this this coming summer, which is coming next 12 months, I think that, that Kevin Denke will be someone who, um, certainly on his radar, wherever, wherever he ends up, um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of his style of play, you've already alluded to the fact that, that Denki is 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 athletic, he's physical. Um, I think his listed height ranges from around 1 meter 81 to 1 meter 83, so 5'11", 6 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously a good good size for a striker, but as you say, he's quite powerful as well. You know, is is that something which really, really... Because I mean, we're, we're going to get on to some other forwards and, you know, players who, who have got plenty of goals this season but are very, very different in terms of style and stature. What, what is the that sort of profile of striker? What makes them so successful in Belgium? Because we've seen so many of them um, pass through in the coming years, in the past few years, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point that, Joe. I think there's something about um, the, the game in Belgium. It's... It's very physical. Um, to be more specific about that, there, there's a very high jewellery in Belgian football. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, the intensity is generally um, very high as well, um, and there are not there are not a lot of um, slower periods in games, if you like. So, I think the sort of cardiovascular intensity, to be blunt about it, and the, the ground covered. Um, by by most players is is quite significant, and you know that's one of the reasons why it's very a very attractive place to develop players um, as well, because you know fitness will be improved very quickly because it has to be um, to play in 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 the pro league in, in Belgium. Um, so I think that's a big factor. But I think you know in terms of Kevin's profile, I think he is um, he's quite an instinctive striker, and he plays in a system at Circle that. Um, is 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 Circle's own unique evolution of a form of Gagan pressing, if you like. Um, the, there's a lot of high tur- turnovers at Circle. You know, what I mean, there's a lot of um, pack hunting. Um, you know, they they like to allow sides to have the ball because they know they're going to get it back off you and be down your throat very quickly. And because he's such an instinctive striker as well, it just it fits playing in those pockets in the final third of the pitch um, where you have to make decisions quickly. Um, and he's been playing in that system now. This is what his third year playing there under that system. So he's got he's got very, very used to it. And he's proven how versatile he is as well because you know he can play on his own. Um, or he can play with, with a partner kind of quite effectively. So um, I think that's 
probably added to his value because for a long time he was he was the main man before Ayazi Yida came in and then they formed a great partnership and now he's gone on to uh, be the main man again himself and uh, if anything exceed expectations slightly. Yeah, um, I mean, from one twenty goal forward to another, um, there's another striker who's, who's been pulling up trees in in Belgium this season and in Europe. Um, in uh, Mohamed Amora, who plays for for Union Saint Gilois, uh, USG in in Brussels. Um, and what's quite remarkable for, for for him is that you know he's he's got twenty goals in thirty appearances, all competitions. Um, but he's managed that in under two thousand minutes. So I mean, that's a, it's a, an outstanding haul for him. Is his first um, season in Belgium, signed for USG for around four million euros uh, in the summer from from Lugano or last summer from Lugano in Switzerland. Um, I believe actually we we briefly myself and, and a fellow Scott actually Lee Scott. Um, in fact, that's 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 quite uh, interesting. There we got Scott Coin here. We had Lee Scott. Uh, a scout and uh, an analyst from Scotland, um, and we discussed uh, Mohamed Amora. Um, must be around two years ago now. Well, he was still with Lugano and and doing very well there. Coming off the back of um, playing with with Setif in uh, in in Algeria, his native his country. Um, but what he's done in coming into USG is he's offered them basically a guaranteed route to goals because whenever he's come on the pitch, because he's not always started games, um, given that, you know, they have been playing in Europe um, and and across, I think it's three or four fronts. Um, you know, there's, he, he's been someone who has always been a menace. And I think that's probably the, the operative word to describe Amora um, because he's very, he's diminutive. He's complete opposite to, to Kevin Denke. You know, he's very quick. He can play on the shoulder he gave Liverpool quite uh, quite a, a difficult task of, of of keeping tabs on him in the Europa League earlier this season, um, and as a result, you know he's got 16 goals in 19 Pro League games. Um, I think he's averaging a goal every 75 minutes or something, which is in itself, you know, in a debut campaign, you know, again excellent. And when you talk about Denki being signed from Nîmes for for two million euros or, or thereabouts. The fact that USG, and I mean, we can get onto their recruitment shortly anyway, uh, in general, the fact that USG have maybe uh, have been able to get him for, for around 4 million euros and look as though that they could easily, easily turn a profit on that if they wanted to this this coming summer. Um, again, it shows that there is there is massive, massive potential that's, that's you know, just not being explored by those those bigger clubs in bigger leagues. But... Is is really benefiting the likes of USG? I mean, what's what's your read on on Amora being this season? Well, I, I don't think anybody quite expected him to be as good as he has. Um, I mean, Chris O'Loughlin, the, the sporting director at Union, uh, may very well uh, disagree with me when I say that, but I think he, he he's just been relentless, actually. Um, Clearly, an incredibly motivated player, I think, uh, which brings me nicely, kind of, to uh, Union Saint-Germain's kind of recruitment model. Um, a lot of people are continually surprised by that, and um, those who've been watching them closely now since they returned to the top flight uh, three years ago now um, aren't that surprised. I think the big surprise this summer was obviously they they had a change of coach in the summer and a, a massive turnover in their squad. And I think the big question coming into the start of this season was, well, you know, is there going to be a fall off here? You know, can can um, can they continue that remarkably consistent? 
run that they've had um, and be as successful with their recruitment as they have done? And the answer to that is yes, and probably even more impressive than the past couple of years, actually, uh, which is the most surprising thing. Um, Union's model is, is, is one I think a lot of clubs can learn from. Um, and a lot of clubs are are interested in in, in learning from. Um, they have the um, try and identify um, underrated talent early that has a high sell on value, which is pretty much what everybody's trying to do to differing extents. But what's pretty unique almost about their recruitment model is they scout for personality. It's probably the best way to describe it. So there is a considerable deep dive into someone's background, their character, their personality, um, you know, what's happened in life, um, things like that. And they they, they have a, a database. Uh, yeah, a database. Let's call it a database where everything's logged. Everything from whether there's a girlfriend, what her hobbies are, where, whether mum likes to go to the bingo. is absolutely everything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bigger and more interesting dossier than more secret services have on <laughs> uh, individuals. Um, and this is, I think, probably the, the secret of their success, really, identifying the players to a certain extent is a slightly easier bit, but finding the players who are right for the club and the personality of the club and the the, the core squad, who are they bringing in, what sort of person are they bringing in, um, is, is really big, a big part of what they do. Um, and I think a lot of clubs can learn from that and um, probably save themselves some money by making smarter choices um, that way. But he's, he's he's been incredible. I mean, he's the joint second top scorer just now uh, behind Big Kev. He's on 16 in the league, um, as is uh, Club Bruges' uh, Igor Thiago as well. Um, and I think there was, again, there was a lot of interest in him during this this window, um, obviously because he was at AFCON, which was disappointing for, for him in Algeria. Uh, he came back early, uh, which was much to Alexander Blesson's pleasure, I think, um, and has slotted right back in there and has, has started scoring again. So there, there was no worries about um, that, that disrupting um, anything. The Chris has been very honest, I think, um, even earlier this season, um, in saying there was no chance he was going anywhere uh, before the end of the season. I think they realised that with his goal return and the the the, the levels that he'd hit this season, that you know they had to keep him at least till the end of the season. And if he does go anywhere in the summer, and there there will be interest with the the levels he's hit at the moment, then um, it's going to be another big fee for them because you know he's he's tied down on that four year deal and they've got an option of a fifth year. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be lucrative for them if, if he does leave. And he's he's got an incredible partnership with uh, Cameron Puertas there um, in that midfield. He's he's another player who, who's just been relentless and has really um, taken over from that Teddy Tuma mantle, just kind of slipped into that. And the amazing thing is... Uh, Puertas was at the club uh, before. He he's not new either, and he was really a, a, a kind of bit part player, um, you know, over the last year or so. And he's just seamlessly taken over from Teddy Tumor's role because he's been there. So they, they they've got a, a really good, fantastic system of they know who their key players are, and I think they've already identified the successors to those players. And in some cases, some of them are already at the club twelve months before they're required to kind of um, step up. So there's a number of factors at Union that, you know, just make them um, an incredibly interesting club and a big one to learn, you know, important recruitment lessons from. Absolutely. I mean, I think if everybody could compile those Secret Service-esque dossiers uh, on on potential signings, then um, it would make football more of an exact science. So maybe let's leave that to, to your, your unions, for example. But um, no, I mean, 
speaking to Chris, I mean, you, you've, you've obviously got that relationship as well. And he, he's someone who's very diligent. Um, mm-hmm. No, you know, no stone left unturned. I remember when, you know, going over to, to Brussels and obviously spoke to you a lot at that time, Scott. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the insight that, that I was able to glean uh, in terms of just just purely from a recruitment standpoint, never mind, you know, what Union is like as a club, which, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very humble club. And I think mm. that when you have a club with such a strong identity um, and it's kind of charting a new path in its history, um, you do need players who reflect that. You know, you, for want of a better phrase, you know, you don't want a bunch of prima donnas in your squad who may be thinking that they're, they're bigger than they are. And, you know, that also contributes to when you're, you're negotiating contracts as well. I think the fact that they've been able to get Amora on a four-year deal with the option of a fifth year, again, shows that, you know, they, they are the ones very much in the driving seat, um, USG, when it comes to negotiations. You know, a lot of clubs who are trying to be ambitious, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, they'd maybe go for a more established player, for example, not someone who's playing for a Swiss club and not even, you know, an established Swiss club, you know, someone, a team like Lugano. Um, they would go for a, a more high-profile individual who might have a bit more say in terms of, no, actually, I only want to sign a three-year deal or I only want to sign for two years and uh, I'd like X, Y, and Z in the in this if if in the event that I do pop off, like Amora has done. But, I mean, the, the, I think the trust in which players have in, in USG and that, you know what, if, if I do, you know, exceed the level of you know the the average level of of the Belgian league they will let me go and and, and explore elsewhere which they have the the track record of of doing i mean you touched on the 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 squad churn that i mean i'd say churn but it's it's careful turnover it's measured mm. it's everything is planned out in advance and you know in the the sort of the the two summer transfer windows that they've had since being um promoted back to to the top flight um there's been an awful lot of, of of change in terms of the squad, and obviously, as you mentioned um, last summer with with Alexander Blessing coming in, um, it's it's amazing that they've been able to maintain the levels of performance, and as you say, this season to exceed it to be what is it eight points clear now at the top? It's yeah, nothing yeah. short of, uh, of of very very impressive. Yeah, I think they, they they're very aware of of their their place in the wider scheme of things. Union, I mean, obviously the club's growing at an incredible rate, um, largely because of the the growth over the last three years and and how well the run the, the club has run behind the scenes. Um, I think they they work within a, a very small budget as well. It's worth highlighting that. I mean, the, their budget is five or six times smaller than than a lot of the bigger clubs. Um, just as a starting point, you know, when you consider the consistency and success they've had with a budget that much smaller, it, in all honesty, it's it's quite embarrassing for sides with, you know, a lot more financial clout than that. You know, what it tells me is that their recruitment model and the practices that they use not only are right for them as a club, but that are, you know, are embarrassing clubs that have much bigger networks and resources that aren't being utilised effectively at all. Um 
you know, finding players who are undervalued and highly motivated means they come in. And there is that, as you were saying, Joe, that understanding that even if they do commit to a long-term deal like Amura's of four years, they know that there's a good chance, Union this is, they know there's a good chance that that player is going to be gone in 18 months probably because of the trajectory they're on because they've done their homework. But they're okay with that because they also know that the... Um, the, the upsell and the profit to that um, is going to be significant for them. And that's the main thing because of factors. That wonderful stadium they have, for example, mm. um, which, you know, those who've been and those who've seen pictures of, it, it's pretty unique. You know, it's hard not to love it, but unfortunately it does hamper them. You know, they're losing a lot of money each year because they don't have the, the facilities they would like. Um, so, as, as brilliant as that is for football fans and for purists, it is a bit of a problem for them um, in the long term. And they are obviously looking um, and getting closer to, to, to building that new stadium, which which will be able to plug that, that financial gap and, and help the growth um, uh, go even faster than, than it is at the moment. But they are, in terms of Belgian clubs at the moment, they're the club that I think most people can learn from in terms of, of recruitment choices, even, even the big clubs, uh, who quite you quite often see, unfairly, I think, a lot of them quite often have pops at Union um, in the press sometimes because of their relationship with, with Brighton, which isn't as close as a lot of people think. I mean, uh, Alex Muzio, who's the president of Union, it's worth pointing out, Alex is now the majority shareholder uh, at Union. Tony Bloom um, has no day-to-day involvement at Union and he never really has other than being a bit of an advisor um, to, to Alex. It's always really been Alex's baby and it's now, you know, legally and financially speaking, completely his. So um, the those who say that it's really because of the the Brighton connection uh, have always really been wrong because um, although they share some similar data set ideas, because Alex Muzio has a, has a huge data background himself, as does, as does Tony um, at Brighton, um, that's that's been the only real similarity. This has all, all been done on their own. So it's kind of a false narrative that and it's always one I'm, I'm kind of glad to debunk because I, I think the team at Union should be given full credit for what they're doing in, in, in their, their own right, actually. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, you're talking about bigger clubs there and certainly bigger clubs in, in Belgium, those who have been more established. Club Brugge, obviously the other side of uh, this the city. Uh, well, not the other side, but you know what I mean? The sort of figuratively speaking to, to circle Brugge um, is, is is club. I mean, they've I think they are one of, if not the biggest team in, in Belgium over you know the past decade, 15 years or so. Obviously, Anderlecht being up there as well, but maybe. Uh, maybe not lived up to the heights of of recent recent successes. Um, kind of a bit of a transitionary period. But club, um, they themselves. I mean, we were talking about you know Kevin Denke being signed for two million euros, Mohamed Amora being signed by Union for for four million, and I don't know. Maybe it's a maybe it's a fact that they are a bigger club and they do have larger resources that. You know, when the, when they do buy from teams, um, that those those selling clubs can actually ask for a little bit more, and that appears to have been the case with uh, Igor Tiago, who you touched on earlier, twenty two year old Brazilian striker. Again, very very different to Mohamed Amora in terms of style. He's around six foot two, um, physical, uh, and has as as is often the case um, with with strikers who do end up doing very well in Belgium. They've they've come up the hard way. You know, he's he went from from Cruzeiro, the obviously a, a decent-sized Brazilian team, um, and went to, to Ludogorets in Bulgaria, um, had a couple of seasons there, or a season and a half, um, won a couple of titles, 
and as a result, having scored lots and lots of goals, has been has been snapped up by by club last summer. Um, he was one that they'd clearly identified very early on that they wanted to sign. Soon as the transfer window opened, he uh, was was holding the the club scarf and the and the club shirt. Um, Eight million euros, I believe, is is roughly the, the fee that they played for, for uh, paid for Igor Thiago. Uh, and as a result, again, you know, he's he's been extremely available this season to them. He's been, you know, their, their, I mean, undoubtedly their top scorer, someone who's been a hugely effective player, 26 goals across all competitions in 40 matches, 16 of those in 24 Pro League appearances. So, you know, you'd, you'd like to think or you'd imagine he'll definitely have a say when uh, when the league breaks off into the championship group on on who ends up lifting the, uh, the, the title. Um, but again, he's also been very, very effective in uh, in Europe. You know, 12 games in the Conference League and, and the Conference League qualifiers, six goals and one assist uh, in roughly around 700 minutes. So he's someone who, at, at, at various different levels, has been very, very effective. And at 22, is still, uh, you know, a huge prospect. Um, and again, similar to Amora, is on a on a long-term deal at club with, with I think it's three and a half years still to run. So, um, yeah, a striker, six foot two, six foot three. Again, a different type of profile. Um Maybe a similar-ish route to to your Amoras, or compared to to Kevin Denke, but again, someone who is is putting up great great numbers in Belgium this season, Scott. Yeah, the interesting thing about Thiago actually is when when you look at his uh, career, he, he he has this thing where he seems to explode in the second half of seasons. This has happened throughout his entire career, and uh, just just to give everybody a laugh, actually earlier on this season, um, Thiago was. Underwhelming, I think it would be fair to say, uh, as as he often is in the first part of the season. And I said more than one occasion on the Belgian football podcast that I thought Ronnie Dyla should be starting Ferran Ucla instead because he had a, a more diverse side to his game and, and just offered them more options, I felt. Um, even though at that stage, Ucla himself wasn't exactly setting the world on fire. I just felt that he had a, a more all-round game that you know club could benefit from because of the firepower at their uh, disposal. Um, Ronnie Dyla has stuck with uh, Igor Thiago um, throughout the season um, and persevered with him for, for a reason. And um, obviously, he, he fits Ronnie's system. Uh, Ronnie prefers him. Um, and that's kind of proven to, to, to be right. And actually, I was wrong, which is nice sometimes. It's, it's nice to be <laughs> wrong about that. Um, you know, keeps things interesting. Um, yeah, he's just, he's been incredible, actually. And it's that second half of the season thing. I, I think towards towards the towards the autumn, the end of last year, is when um, he really started to, to light up for club and hasn't looked back since then. And I was talking about how instinctive some of Kevin Denke's game is. I think Igor Thiago is, is the kind of ultimate instinctive striker. Um, again, he's very physical, uh, much, much more physical than you would imagine, actually. When you, when you see him in person, you realise there's, there's a lot of power there. Um, and he has quite a quite an aggressive game in, in the right way. Um, and I think uh, defenders find him difficult to handle. I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so successful in Belgium. Again, it comes back to that physicality uh, thing that we were talking about with, with, with Kevin Denke as well. And you just you're going to get a lot of opportunities um, at a club like Club Bruges. You know, they they have such a wealth of um, attacking. Um, 
intent in that side. You know, I mean, really creative wingers there. You know, Andreas Skov Olsen, uh, Michel Skoras is in, in there as well. You know, so there, there's always going to be plenty of supply there. So I think, you know, once those first few goals came, it's really been a, a kind of a cascade for him. And in fact, recently, um, he's just picked up um, his fifth yellow card, which means he's got a suspension, which is going to bring to a halt to all of this, which is going to frustrate Ronnie Dyla a little bit. But it doesn't seem to, to, to have derailed them kind of too much, although they have dropped some points over over the last week or so. They've dropped five five points, um, which um, Union Sancho will be very happy about, of course, right. um, because it was looking beginning to look like Club Bruges were going to be the side that they were kind of watching, maybe more so than than, than Anderlecht. But dropping those points, I think, is going to make it a little bit more difficult for club this season. You were saying, you know, you were talking about them being a bigger club. Obviously, they are the richest club in Belgium by quite some distance. And that's really because of, you know, a, a, a consistent um, number of years in, in, in Europe and playing in the Champions League. The money from that has 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 really, you know, racked up in the bank. And also, they, they've been extraordinarily successful with their outgoing transfers. They strike very, very good deals. Um, that there's a bit of a joke in Belgian football that Vincent Manert, the, the departing chief executive, uh, uses a gun in negotiations, especially <laughs> some of the fees that he manages to, to wring out of a lot of their transfers. Um, and in fact, he's been responsible for, for the, the, the two biggest outgoing transfers in Belgian football in history, obviously. Uh, Charles de Ketelaar leaving a uh, club to go to, to, to Milan. Uh, which is still the biggest, 36.5 million. And we thought Antonio Nusa was going to be the second biggest um, until everyone decided to fall out over the results of the, the medical, which may yet go through in the summer. We'll see what happens um, with that. But yeah, club, club are obviously willing to spend more because they have it. And um, to, to try and stay, to stay ahead, but they've, they've had a good season. Um, obviously, they're, they're they're hoping they can win the title. I'm not sure they will be able to this year. They had a slightly sl- slow start, but they've they've built up a really big head of steam now, and I don't think they'll be too far away. Um, and they've 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 been good to watch for for a while now. Yeah, just going back to what you were talking about with Igor Tiago and and maybe having a slow start and you know really starting to hit his groove as it came into the autumn and the winter. Uh, I was just looking while you were talking there. I think I counted up 18 goals between the in, in all competitions between the end of November and the end of January, just gone. Which mm. over a two-month period is is pretty pretty astonishing. Uh, and lots of lots of braces in there. I think one hat trick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lots and lots of uh, of goals. And again, if he can if he can continue that into the second half of the season, um, and he can stay fit, then again, club are going to be looking at a lot of offers in the summer and a lot of approaches, a lot of inquiries about this, you know, this 22-year-old Brazilian who is very, very effective. And, you know, when you think about, okay, Brazilian striker coming from Belgium, um, coming from club, obviously, in, in particular, um, young uh, and, and very physical, you immediately get sort of visions of Wesley, um, obviously went to, to Aston Villa, went for a, a reasonable fee as well, let's not forget. Um you know, would you compare their games at all, or are they, you know, different types of players? 
I think they have some similarities, um, you know, in, in terms of their physicality and their instinctiveness. I think they're similar, but I think that's that's probably about it. I think one of the interesting things about Thiago, while we're talking about him, is our Yoris uh, at the Belgian Football Podcast. Yoris likes to point out that um, he has scored uh, almost half of his goals this season from from the penalty spot. Uh, so our, our Yoris doesn't tend to count half of his goals, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. You know, that's a little insight into uh, how how Yoris views. Views, uh, views strikers and, and, and their qualities, uh, but that, that's worth bearing in mind. But I'm sure Ronnie Dyla would be keen to point out equally that they all count. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I tell you what, if you're good from 12 yards, it doesn't matter if you if you're good as well from. Uh, sorry, if you it doesn't matter if you're just good from six yards or 12 yards, just you know, getting in the back of the net. Um, yeah, very very interesting, and and kind of rounds off the the striker chat um, from from Belgium this week because. Um, yeah, they're, they're all kind of going toe to toe for that for that golden boot this year, and I mean, they're all in the in the top five um, in the league this mm-hmm. season in terms of the, the clubs. Um, so should make for a really really interesting period at the end of the the end of the the, the regular campaign to see who's who's making those those inroads. Because you know, for anyone who's not aware, you know, you've got the the championship group in in Belgium. So if you finish top of the league at the end of the regular campaign, doesn't necessarily mean you win the title. Um, as they found last season, uh, and yeah, the points tallies are halved, and then you then go in sort of a round robin. You play all of the top six. Um, yeah, it makes for really interesting viewing. Um, but moving on to sort of a, a wider trend in sort of Belgian football recruitment, and while you know we've talked about strikers, we talked about USG. One of the the main themes, especially over the past number of seasons has been the number of Japanese players that that Belgian clubs have typically um, signed and then obviously developed and then sold on. Um, you know, I think St. Trudens is is one of the, the, the I don't know, one of the, the more um, prolific clubs when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, and I'm, you know, I hope, Scott, you could maybe shed a bit more light on why that is the case. Um, but, you know, you look at the, the likes of, um, you know, Takihiro Tomiyasu was was there. Um, before going to Bologna and then then to Arsenal, um, you know, you were talking about Kevin Denke's uh, Kevin Denke's strike partner um, just earlier. He's obviously gone on oh. to Feyenoord. Um, and if you actually look at the sort of Japanese players abroad, obviously there's, there's scores of them across Europe. But in terms of for how big the league is in Belgium, uh, the 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 Japanese diaspora in in the pro league especially is is massive um, and. Yeah, there's the, the, this spread across the league. You know, Sintrudens, Ghent, USG, obviously, Koki Mashida. Um, you know, club have, have got Shion Homa, who actually, you know, put put to bed the the hopes of of USG's title dreams last season with that last minute equaliser. Um, there's loads of them. Zion Suzuki, obviously, the goalkeeper at, at Sintruden. Um, yeah, what what's the uh, what's what's the the lowdown on on why J- Japanese players end up uh, in Belgium so frequently? Well, when you look at recruitment generally in Belgium, um, Africa and Asia as as markets have always been um, historically big in Belgium, uh, particularly the African market, actually. But the Japanese market um, has has grown a lot uh, in recent years. You know, you mentioned St. Truden there. Now, the thing with St. Truden as a club uh, is they are Japanese owned back in 2017. 
um, the the Japanese uh, internet company DMM, who, who are basically a, a really big um, e-commerce platform in Japan, they bought St. Truden uh, from uh, Roland de Châtelet, who used to own the club, uh, who used to own Standard Liège, actually, and, and now owns nothing in Belgium, a uh, bit of an infamous figure in Belgian football. But yeah, uh, DMM bought, bought St. Truden, uh, back in 2017, and over that first couple of years or so, they invested quite a lot of money in the club in developing the stadium initially. Uh, they've done a lot of work to the stadium. It's one of one of the better stadiums in in, in Belgium now. has has better facilities because of that. Um, since then, they've they've invested less. Um, but remain kind of competitive. The sporting director at St. Truden, uh, Andre Pinto, um, has massive connections in, in the Japanese market and it probably is the the main market of interest actually for the club, uh, not just in terms of growing the club because there's a growing fan base for, for St. Truden in Japan, which is something that's been cultivated from, from the beginning, um, quite deliberately so. Um, but Andre Pinto, yeah, it's one of his, his, his favourite markets. Um, at the moment, St. Truden have got six Japanese players, but if you look at Belgium generally there are there are 18 japanese players at the moment which accounts for seven percent of all the players in in, in belgium um St. Trun did actually have more than seven i think they had eight or nine at the start of the season but some some of them have gone out on loan uh, so they did have even more um it's always a market they've done very well in and had good value in and those who keep an eye on kind of footballing markets outside of Europe will know that uh, the Asian market, particularly Japan, actually, um, there's some incredible talent there at really, really good value. I mean, the amount of clubs in Japan who lose talent for, you know, silly prices, a bit like in Belgium, some of the talent that leaves, you know, Belgian clubs get mugged quite a lot, as do uh, Japanese clubs uh, for, for some of their talent. Um, so that's that's this intruding kind of pathway. But yeah, 7% of all the players in Belgium are, are Japanese. And uh, St. Truden is, is such a Japanese club, in fact, um, that the, the locals and a lot of football in Belgium is closely linked to local communities still. It's one of the, the great things about Belgian football. Um, it's less corporate than in, than in a lot of other countries. The St. Truden fan base over the last few years have had to reconnect with the club because they've felt that the Japanese identity has been accentuated at the expense of the fact that it's a local Limburg club. So the, the club have had to do some work reconnecting with the fan base um, because of that uh, and because of the, the the Japanese marketing around the club. But there are a number of other clubs as well. You know, you mentioned some of them there, you know, Ayazi Ueda, who's at Circle, um, massive Japanese talent. Circle were actually very lucky to get him. They, they moved early, which is why they got him ahead of other clubs. He's he's done very well, was only in Belgium for a year. He's left. Ghent have started to discover the Japanese market. Um, and have, have signed some players from from Japan who've who've turned out to be you know more than decent for them as well. And in terms of Asia, if you drop down out of the Pro League, if you go down to the Challenger Pro League, which is the division below, there is a club there uh, which is owned by a, a Singapore-based investment company, ACA. Uh, that club's called Denza. They're doing very well at the moment. They're um, going to be one of the promotion contenders and, and hoping to come up to the, the top flight at the end of the season. And their their investors have been investing modestly, but in, in a kind of targeted way that, that seems to be kind of paying off for them. So that that Asian market is, is one that I think other clubs in Belgium are, are being turned on to now. 
um, albeit it was St Truden who kind of battered down the door to that. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the, the the number of players that have come through that Centurion route, I mean, I think three of the four Japanese players that are currently in the Premier League, um, Takiro yep. Tomiyasu, Wataru Endo, and, and newly Daiki Hashioka, who signed for Luton, um, they all, you know, have played or played at um, Centurion. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that it shows that they've got quite a considerable footprint. And um yeah, the I mean, three out of four making it to the Premier League is not bad going, is it? In terms of a a rate of return, um, and I guess as well, that's probably a good good little earner for for Sintruden as well, because you know traditionally not one of Belgium's biggest clubs, but um, if they can, I don't know, eke out a little corner in the market that that you know they can benefit from ahead of all the others, you know, cottoning onto it as you say, um, then yeah, it's really uh, it's really interesting. Um, Scott, before we, we finish, is there any any other storylines or any other uh, interesting um, little subplots to, to Belgian football this season um, that, that you think are, are worth bringing to the fore? I mean, bonus points if, if they, they've got sort of like a, an under-23 angle, but I mean, we'll, we'll hear anything, won't we? <laughs> I think, um, you know, th those who like to keep an eye on, on the under-23 angle will know already that, you know, Belgium is one of the hottest markets for, for developing talent. I think, you know, because we've been talking about recruitment a lot, I think it's worth bearing in mind that the academy system in Belgium generally is very, very strong. Obviously, the bigger clubs have, have you know, well-established academies. Um, and that that's really... The, the the foundation um of of that kind of constant stream of talent in, in in Belgium but even the smaller clubs um do a lot of things right even clubs that don't have what what you you know you would consider to be a fully fledged academies as such are still able to kind of you know produce a real talent and because of the way Belgian football tends to work young players get chances in in Belgium um, and get the chance to get that move um, and, and and develop very very quickly. So it's always it's always a market worth watching. Um, we were talking about St Truden there. St Truden actually have been doing quite well this season. They've been playing very attractive football, and I think because of that, there, there's some increasing interest in some of the young players uh, that they have there at the moment. They've got some quite exciting young defensive talent. Um, that they're trying very, very hard to hold on to until, until at least the summer, which it looks like they they, they will now, thankfully for them, um, because they're they're not able to to spend in the way that other clubs um, would. So they have that problem where there's a kind of constant changeover in staff, and they're they're having to refresh the squad um, each season. One area worth looking at, um, if looking at young talent, is something that. Um, excites you is is to watch more of the Challenger Pro League, which is the division below the top flight. That league has become incredibly competitive over the over the last couple of years, partly because um, they have the academy side, so Standard Liège's academy, uh, Club Next, which is Club Bruges academy. Um, you know there are a number of academy sides there that make up the the the, the teams in that division. So young talent are getting to play regularly. Um, from the big academies um, against um, more established sides, which pushes on their development faster and further as well. And we're now starting to see clubs in the Pro League, the top flight, uh, pay much more attention in recruitment terms to perhaps bringing talent up from the Challenger Pro League, which is, is is a very recent thing. It's only really in the last year, eighteen months, that that's that has started to change. Um, but there's 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 a lot of talent down there in that division as well. Um, and in fact, Adriano Bertaccini, um, 
young young striker um, with a, a kind of dual Italian Belgian passport who was up until the end of the winter market there at RFC Liège in the Challenger Pro League um, has gone to St Truden. St Truden uh, paid just over eight hundred thousand for him just at the end of the window there. He was the top scorer in the Challenger Pro League. Um, and St. Truden really, really needed a striker. You know, they've plugged that gap now. Um, so that's a really good example of a younger player doing really well who who got a move probably quicker than he expected because of that 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 interest between the and relationship between the two divisions now. Yeah, absolutely. I was just looking at sort of the, the top scorers in the in in the in the challenger pro league there. And uh yeah, Bertaccini's name came up, so I was just like, Oh, okay. Definitely on, onto something there. Scott definitely knows his stuff. If uh, that didn't uh, come across in the previous forty-five minutes or so, anyway. But no, um, Scott, thank you very much for uh, for joining me on the Scouted Podcast. It's been a pleasure to to get your insights and your expertise on on Belgian football. Um, to anybody who else has been um, intrigued by what Scott has had to say, where can where can people find you? Well, uh, I'm part of the Belgian Football Podcast team um, and you can find me there um, at Belgian Podcast on Twitter slash X um, or if you want to talk to me uh, independently about any Belgian football consultancy stuff, then you can find me at Coin Consultant on Twitter and X as well um, where I do some work for clubs and agents and uh, other forms of media, much like this. Excellent stuff. Well, Scott, thank you very much for joining me. This has been the Scouted Podcast with a, an episode on just how Belgian clubs recruit. Um, thank you very much for, for listening and uh, bye for now. The Scouted Podcast is brought to you with the support of our friends at Skill Corner, whose tracking data and performance analytics are used by many of the top clubs, leagues and federations around the world. Covering a wide range of global competitions, Skill Corner's data helps customers to make faster, better informed decisions in recruitment, player development and strategy. And we are now using it to support our own analysis of up and coming talent. For more information, visit skillcorner.com.